No? Morning. What? Oh, oh, I see. That's not what you were expecting. Oh, you were expecting me to say good morning, Hope Church, right? Yeah, maybe, maybe ask you how your week was, right? Ah, but you got what was very unexpected. You might have even expected me to say, hey, did you enjoy your celebration on you know, Wednesday or Thursday or Tuesday or whatever day it might have been. And, and some of you actually uh, said that you were going to check calendars and see what days were coming up. Anybody got anything for me? You got nothing? Cho- National Chocolate Day, when was that? Wednesday. All right. See, we got a good day. Hope you had some chocolate. Uh, Tuesday was National Mule Day, by the way. I have no idea what that means. I don't know if you celebrate if you have a mule or if you celebrate if you are a mule. I don't know. Regardless, my opening was not what you guys expected or maybe even hoped for. Well, today we're going to look at a story about Jesus that was also very unexpected. To be honest, much of what Jesus did and said was not what his disciples anticipated. And, I mean, let's face it, many of the Jewish people that day, it wasn't what they had hoped for. They had hoped for a Messiah. They were expecting a Messiah that was a warrior, right? That would come riding in on a great white horse with a, with a large sword, you know, smiting the enemies and establishing the Jewish kingdom on earth. But that's not what they got. Make no mistake, Jesus is the Messiah. There's no question about that. But at times he did and said things that were quite unexpected. Well, today we are in week five of our Made for Mission series. And we began this series by saying that we are all called, right? We are all called to mission for Jesus. And this isn't something that's just for just for pastors or just for, you know, like the, the spiritually elite. No, everyone is called. Everyone who claims Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is called to what? Follow Him, right? We're called to follow after Him. Now, in week two, we said that our mission... I mean, if we're on mission, it's good to know what our mission is, right? We said that our mission is the same as Jesus' mission. We're called to be about the work that Jesus began. Now, if that is true, and friends, it is, we need to study the Word to figure out exactly what Jesus was up to. And we spent a lot of time looking at Scripture and looking at Jesus' teachings and his actions, as we've, we've seen directly from him, a number of lessons about what our mission should look like. We are on mission, friends, with a message. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And our message is to share what God has done in each one of our lives. Each one of us has felt and experienced the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And we're called to share that 
with the world. Now last week, Jesus taught us to love our neighbors. And who did he say our neighbors were? Everyone is our neighbor, right? Friends, family, co-workers, that person you run into at the grocery store, or the person that's waiting your table at the restaurant. Those are all our neighbors, and we are called to love each and every one of them. But today, we are going to address the question of why. Why? Why am I on mission? And this is a question that's asked quite often, right? Not, not necessarily about mission, but in general. For those of you who have kids, or have, have been exposed to kids, or have ever been a kid, I think that covers about everyone, right? You know that children are notorious for asking this why question. Why, right? I remember when I was a child, I would sometimes question my parents' authority. I know it's hard to believe. I was a good kid. so. But I would ask them why. And you know, they would respond very often in typical parental style by saying what? Because I said so, right? Because I said so. And you know, that's something that I swore I was never going to say to my kids. I did. And then when my kids were growing up, they would question my authority and they'd say, why, Dad, why? And what would I find myself saying? Because I said so. Because I said so. And you know what? That should have been good enough, right? That should have been good enough. Now, here's the question, though. Can we apply that same kind of logic to this question, why am I on mission? Actually, we can I mean, let's face it, the God of the cosmos, right? Jesus, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the very God who created us, has given us instruction. He said, go. If we were to stand up and ask him, why, why, Lord, why should I be on mission? If he said, because I said so, shouldn't that be good enough? Would that be good enough? Does he have the authority? Yeah, I mean, he even says so in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, given to him by whom? By the Father, right? Therefore, in other words, because of the authority that I have, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. That should be good enough. But you know, that's not how Jesus rolls. See, Jesus wants us to understand the why. His heart is for us to understand. And there's many places in the Bible that we could go to to learn more about the why. But today, we're going to look at John chapter 13. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13, we're going to look at the first 17 verses. Because those 17 verses will help to illustrate the why of why we're on mission. Now, chapter 13 really begins the second half of John's gospel. And the second half is really dedicated 
to Jesus' final discourse. It's his final teaching. And then it goes on to describe the passion, the crucifixion, etc., etc. But what Jesus is doing up to this point and after that, he is preparing his messianic community to continue his work after he's gone. Now, does that at all sound familiar? Aren't we called to carry on the work that Jesus began? We are, absolutely. So it would behoove us to listen to all that Jesus has to say here. Also of interest is the fact that at the end of chapter 12, Jesus summarizes his identity and his mission and his relationship to God the Father. And he makes it clear that he has come as the Savior of the world. And at the end of chapter 12, this is the last time that he appeals to the masses. This is the last time he teaches to the public. The rest of John, he's teaching to his disciples. He's teaching us. So verse 1, John writes this. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So what we see here is that Jesus, he, he knows it's time. His time is up. Up to this point, we've seen several instances in all of the Gospels saying that his hour had not yet come. But now, now Jesus is about 24 hours or so away from the crucifixion. He's about 24 hours away from the cross, and he knows that his time, his hour has come. And despite what lies ahead of him, what's he doing? He's still, he's still thinking about his brothers, his disciples. He's still thinking about these men. Jesus, Jesus loved his own. He loved his disciples. He called them. He was the one that called them. He led them. He taught them. He protected them. He was so much more than just a rabbi or a teacher. He loved them. Think about this. Has Jesus called us? Has he led us? Has he taught us? Has he protected us? Absolutely. We are his disciples. We are his messianic community here to carry on the work that he began. You can be sure, friends, that that love that Jesus had for his disciples, he still has for us. Jesus loves us. We are his disciples. And this, this love, this love that, that Jesus has for us, it's so much more than we understand the word to mean. Remember, the Greek word is what? It's agape, right? Agape love. And agape, friends, is different. Agape love is sacrificial. Agape love puts the needs of others above one's own welfare. Agape love thinks of others. Agape love is a choice. And this is really where we start getting into the heart of the why, right? Why are we on mission? 
And it has everything to do with the heart of Jesus. It has everything to do with the heart of God. God's heart is a heart of love. 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. And all love, all agape comes from God. And what we're going to see is love modeled by Jesus. And he's also going to teach us something about what love does to us when we receive it. Verse 2 says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, just a quick note here, because this leads us to believe that Judas knew that he was going to betray Jesus. And that, that, that never made a lot of sense in my mind. Maybe you're like me. But a better translation I've discovered is something along the lines of the devil had made up his mind to use Judas to betray Christ. He was looking for someone. Satan was looking for someone to do this, and now he had his man. So that kind of helped me to understand a little bit better what John was saying in this particular translation. Verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Now, the fact that God had put all things under Jesus' power, this is not something that's new. This is not a new concept. We see all the way back in the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry in John chapter 3, Jesus, the Father, loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Jesus has had this power all along. But John wants us to know that he has this power at this moment. He has the power to pick up his life and lay it down. The next phrase tells us that Jesus knew his identity. And his identity was in God the Father. And this is one of the things that God's love does for us. Write this down, okay? Write this down. God's love gives us our identity. 1 John chapter 3 reminds us, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And friends, that is what we are. Jesus knew who he was in relation to God. And our identity is found in God's love. We are children of the Most High God, the creator of the cosmos. He loves us. And when we receive that love, it changes us. That's where we get our identity. The foundation of Jesus' mission flowed from his identity. And that's true for us as well today. So Jesus understood who he was. He understood what his mission was. So it says in verses 4 and 5, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Well, you talk about something unexpected. I mean, here's, here's Jesus, right? He's, he's, he's 24 hours away from being brutally tortured and hung on a cross. 
and killed. And what's he doing? He's thinking more about his friends than he is of himself. He's, he's pouring more and more of himself into his disciples. He's pouring more and more of his love into them. And he gets up and he does something again, most unexpected. He washes their feet. He's doing a job here that is reserved for the lowliest of servants. Foot washing. This is something that, that was normally done only by Gentile slaves. This was an extreme act of servanthood. And friends, this is a parable in action. You know, what's really interesting that is that in, in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us that the disciples entered the room that night arguing about who would be the greatest. Arguing about who would sit at his right hand, who would be on the left, who is going to be the greatest among them. The pride. The pride. Jesus tells them, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. And here, Jesus is going to show them true greatness by modeling a servant's heart. Agape love serves. <laughs> and then Peter, you know. What story would be complete without Peter blurting something out, right? In verse 6 he says, it says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Now, a couple things we want to unpack here from, from this little dialogue with Peter. First, what we want to understand is this is so much more than foot washing. It's much, much more than foot washing. Yes, Jesus is giving them an example of humble service. And he expects them to serve each other with the same kind of humility. And friends, there is a lesson in there for us as well. We are to serve one another. Right? Part of our mission statement is to care for one another, right? We serve one another. But there's something so much larger here. There's something so much larger. And we have the advantage of perspective to see this. See, the deepest meaning of this foot washing points to the cross. It points to the cross, this, this humble service that Jesus will soon perform that washes away not dirt, but washes away sin. And you know, poor Peter, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't understand. And Jesus even says, you know, you, you, you don't get it. But you will. 
And eventually Peter does get it. And eventually all of the disciples get it. It took Jesus rising from the dead for them to get it, but eventually they did get it. The other thing that we want to note here is that Jesus washed everyone's feet. He washed everyone's feet, even Judas, even his enemy. Jesus loved his enemies. Is there a Judas in your life? Oh, maybe not someone that's going to kill you or get you killed. Is there somebody that you just don't get along with? Someone that you don't like? Are those people our neighbors? And how are we supposed to treat our neighbors? We love them, right? We love them and we serve them. Oh, maybe we don't wash their feet, but we love them. Well, let's keep going because what happens next is kind of interesting. In verse 12 it says, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. And really, this is such a departure from the way Jesus had taught them in the past. Most of the time, Jesus would allow the lesson or the example to kind of speak for itself. And quite honestly, Jesus' entire life was a lesson, an example for his disciples and for us to follow. But here, here, he's not going to leave the understanding to chance. The lesson to be learned from the foot washing is an important one. So Jesus is going to make a point of drawing our attention to it. And he asks, do you know what I've done? He wants to make sure. So he explains it in verses 13 to 16. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now there's no question that the disciples considered Jesus their teacher, right? All throughout the New Testament, you hear them calling him Rabboni, Rabbi, teacher. And Jesus is their Lord, right? Lord, uh, another translation for that word would be leader. Jesus is their leader, and he's called them to follow after him. And he says, because I am your teacher, because I am your Lord, your leader, do as I do. Learn from my example. Wash one another's feet. How do you guys feel about that? I mean, if we pulled out some basins and got some towels and poured out some water and said, okay, we're going to start washing feet, what would happen? Now, you'd see a rush to the door like you've never seen before. And you know what? I, I, I don't blame you. So aren't you glad that this is a parable? 
Jesus doesn't necessarily expect us to wash each other's feet. What he is doing is he is commanding us to show the same humble, sacrificial love to each other. It's our attitude and our action toward others that Jesus is concerned with. Jesus showed humble, unconditional, sacrificial, agape love to his disciples and to us and to the whole world, right? God so loved the world. But he didn't do it by washing feet, right? He did it by going to the cross. He did it by sacrificing himself for our sins. And as Jesus continues to teach in this final discourse, actually in the very next chapter, in chapter 15, Jesus just, just, he just sums it all up. He just, he just kind of nails it here. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Man, I could preach an entire sermon just on those five verses. We got time, don't we? No, maybe not. So let's, let's start to pull this all together, all right? Let's, let's, let's really start to zero in on this question, why? Why are we on mission? And honestly, you could answer it with one simple word. Anybody? One word. Love, right? Agape. That's why we're on mission. What Jesus taught his disciples, and of course teaches us in this humble act of service, is this. As the love of God is lavished upon us, as we receive that love, that love fills us to overflowing, and that love then flows out to everyone around us. And it flows out in acts of service. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, it is the love of Christ that compels us. It is the love of Christ that controls us. The love of Christ is why we do what we do. The love of Christ is why we are on mission. And I love this, the last thought that Jesus leaves us with from this passage in verse 17 is now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, how many want to be blessed? And I'd have thought every hand would go up, but okay. <laughs> I want to be blessed. And it's fine to want to be blessed as long as we understand what it means to be blessed and what it doesn't mean. See, what, is it, what it doesn't mean is that we're going to be rich or we're going to have lots of stuff or life is going to be really easy. 
That's not what it means to be blessed. To be blessed, friends, is to be happy and content and fully satisfied in the love and the grace of God. When we have that, friends, the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. You want to experience that? Do what Christ told us to do. Let the love of God abound in you and let that love compel you to humble acts of service to those around you. You do that and you will freak some people out. They will not be expecting it, right? That is not at all what they're expecting. But that's awesome because Jesus was always doing the unexpected. No one expected him to wash the disciples' feet. No one expected him to die for our sins. But he did. And that love and grace that he poured out on the cross, it fills us, it changes us. It's where we get our identity. And it is why we are on mission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. You are the creator. You are the God of the cosmos. And the fact that you love us and that you are mindful of us is awesome. And we thank you, Lord, for the love that you pour out, for the way that you bless us. We thank you for that. And Lord, may, may, may we allow that, that love to fill us and may we allow that love to flow out to those around us and, and Lord, may they say, wow, I didn't expect that, but that's awesome, and I want to know more about it. Father, I just pray that you would bless us as a community, as individuals. And Father, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.